there are a few people out there that can do this, just sit down and write perfectly formed logical sentences. And it's not a lot of students and excellent writers. So I think doing whatever it takes to get that on the page and then, you know, just doing one step at a time, even for just 10 minutes looking at it, putting it away and coming back later can really do a lot of great work over time. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Don't Force It. Today, I am welcoming a panel of amazing writing coaches that we have here at Signet to talk about the college essay. If you have a junior, it's time for them to really start thinking about writing this. So I wanted to bring together these wonderful writing coaches to help us understand what's the purpose of the college essay, what are these admissions officers looking for when they read essays, and how can students go about actually writing them? How do you brainstorm topics? How do you know if it's the right topic? Once you've got a topic, then what do you do? And how do you revise it? How do you know when you're done? So we talk about the main college essay. We also talk about supplemental essays, and we wrap up with some tips for parents. So this is going to be a must listen for anybody who has a junior in high school. I think even parents of younger students are going to find this super helpful. And I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from some of my colleagues here. So take a listen. I always love talking about the college essay. For me, it is literally my favorite thing to work on with students. I find that you get to learn so much about a young person, their life, what they think about the world, how they approach problems and who they want to be. And for me, it is so meaningful and rewarding. So I'm glad we're all here to talk about it tonight. I'm going to turn over to my panelists. We'll start with Holly. Holly, please tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, how long you've been with Signet, and what you love about this part of the process. All right. So my name is Holly Schreiber. I studied comparative literature and American studies for my PhD at Indiana University. But for undergrad, I went to Bowdoin College, so a very different experience. I've been with Signet for three years in a variety of roles from, you know, admissions consulting to academic coaching, writing, tutoring, and test prep tutoring. And what I love most about working with students is definitely seeing growth. That's what we're all really here for and what we like to see and our huge motivation is seeing students grow in their capabilities, but also their knowledge of themselves. Thank you, Holly. Andy, let's hear from you. Hi, everyone. My name is Andy Friedman. coming up on five years with Signet. I went to Princeton as an undergrad. I had no idea what I wrote my essay about. I studied music and then I did a PhD at Harvard in music theory. What I love most about working with students, that's hard to say, I guess I'll just keep it to the college writing process, is when it goes well, the writing process can be transformative for the student. And that's when that happens, that's pretty amazing. Satya, last but not least. Hi, everyone. I'm Satya Murata. I've been with Signet since 2018. I'm primarily a writing consultant, though occasionally I might tutor with psychology or AP literature. And I went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute for my undergrad degree, which is in psychological science and society technology and policy, but I did my PhD at Tufts University in social psychology. And what I love most about working with students, especially with the college essays, is just how much hope and like how big their perspectives is, are as they're discovering themselves and what they want to do and how they can reimagine the world and challenge my own worldviews. And also I learned so much from them in talking about what they really care about and what they're hoping to do in college and why they want to go. So it's just actually a really exciting 
experience. And sometimes parents will be like, who are you talking to? Why are you laughing? It's like, oh, it's my writing consultant. And it's because it's genuinely a fun thing and a really awesome conversation to be having with students at this time in their lives. Thank you, Satya. And thank you for introducing that. It can be fun. We all think of the college process as so stressful and it can be stressful as well, but there are some really beautiful moments where it can be fun. It can be introspective. It can be transformational as Andy said, and it can really result in some beautiful growth, both for us when we get to work with students, you know, as their mentors, we learn so much from them, but also of course for the student and their parents. And I want to start by just sort of laying out out for you what kind of essays are often required or encouraged in the college application process because sometimes it's not just one essay you've probably all heard of the personal essay or the college essay and it used to just sort of be write us an essay and it was about 500 words it has changed the Common App, which is the main application that a vast majority of colleges do use to manage their applications, will allow a student to submit up to 650 words. And we'll talk about they don't have to use all 650, but that is the upper limit. And there are seven essay prompts. And they are really trying to get at these moments where a student feels like they caught a glimpse of their future self or they, they grew, they learned something, they had an experience that shaped the rest of their life. And the seventh prompt is right on a topic of your choosing. So the prompts don't really matter, right? It's helpful to know that there are seven of them. And yeah, maybe you want to choose one that fits the story you want to tell a little bit better, but really almost anything goes. But the topic is really meant to be about the student. And we'll talk about all the different ways that this can happen. And that main essay goes to all of the colleges that a student is applying to. So it's not meant to be about a specific college. It's really about the student, who they are and what they hope for their future. Some colleges require what we call supplemental essays. And these are usually shorter, though some of them are also 650 words, sometimes longer. Sometimes there are multiple questions. These are school-specific questions. So they are still meant to highlight some specific aspect of a student, but also tie into why a particular school is going to be a good environment for them or what they might contribute to a particular school. And we'll get into some of those questions later. So we're going to try to tackle both. You kind of need to approach the two separately, but at the same time, you got to keep them in mind because you don't want to duplicate content from the main essay into the supplemental essays or vice versa. So you kind of plan out all your puzzle pieces before you really commit to a topic. So with that, I want to center us back on the Common App essay, the main essay. And we'll start by talking about what is the purpose of this thing and what's the audience? Who are students writing to? Who is reading this? And I wonder, Holly, if you don't mind starting us off on that discussion. Yeah, when I first introduced the, the Common App essay to students, if they haven't seen it, we do look at the prompts. And I, I remind them that all of these are invitations to show something great about yourself that will contribute to the college environment. Your resilience, your, you know, your gratitude for others, your self-awareness, your intellectual curiosity. So even if you don't choose one of those, the idea behind the essay is to be showing and giving examples of some, some aspect of yourself that will contribute to the, the community. And so as admissions counselors are, are reading this or admissions officers, excuse me, you know, they're less concerned with the, the prompt because they didn't come up with a prompt. They're, you know, they're, they're, at the, they're at the school, but they're asking themselves, you know, how will this person contribute to a community that's 
you know, vibrant and joyful and academically curious and really fit and, and succeed at college. So that's one of the big things I want to kind of drive home is that it's not just that like, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm super quirky or I'm like the, the, you know, the highest achiever. It's I'm going to be a member of a community. That's a great perspective. Andy Satya, anything you'd add? I would just add that I often tell students that it's a lot like a persuasive essay, which they usually have some experience in, that you're making an argument, like Holly said, of you want me on your campus because, and then we're going to use each paragraph that we have to provide evidence from their own life experience to make the case and convince those admissions officers that, oh my gosh, we cannot pass on this student. And that usually helps get the ball rolling if they're feeling a little bit apprehensive about, oh, I've not really done this type of writing before. Actually, you probably have and just didn't really realize it. So that's all I'd add. That's a really good point. You know, they they may have not written about themselves in this way, but they've certainly tried to persuade readers about a certain argument. Andy, can you talk to us about why understanding your purpose can be helpful in writing anything? Certainly. So in, in this context, you know, I sort of think of the guiding question you know, very much related to what was just said of what values, qualities, aspects of my identity, talent, experiences, etc. Do I want to convey to the submissions officer that will make them say, yeah, we really need this person on campus. And I like to sort of with some students work backwards and actually name those qualities so that the essay never loses focus, which, you know, which is a danger with well, anybody's writing, but high school writing, you know, in particular, there's not a lot of space to get this done. And often students will, in the first few drafts, will feel like some details are really important. But ultimately, if it's not speaking to that question and conveying whatever it is you want to convey, then it kind of shouldn't be there. And so, so I see part of my job as sort of steering the ship, making sure that it is driven by that focus. That's great. And then one other thing that I will add, I mean, all of this is 100% true. When college admissions officers are reading the essay, they often talk about the essay as bringing the student to life. Because all the other parts of the application profile, the classes that a student chose to take, and how hard they were, what grades they earned in those classes, what their teachers say about them, how they choose to spend their time outside of school. You know, these are sort of indirect ways of getting at who the student is. But this is the one place where a student gets to speak about themselves in their own voice and tie everything together so that the admissions officer has, you know, a more complete picture of who they are and, as Holly was saying, who they'll be in this community if they do go to that college. Well, great. So we kind of understand, you know, what the purpose is and what we're trying to achieve here. But the big question is, how do we do this? How do we achieve it? And of course, we always start with like brainstorming. How do we come up with a topic? How do we know if it's the right topic? Are there bad topics? You know, what can we do to kind of get those creative juices flowing to come up with some ideas here? So anybody jump in here. What are your favorite exercises? Well, I'll, I'll just, I kind of, told you my favorite exercise, you know, which is actually to sit down and say, what values, qualities, aspects of your identity do we want to get through to the admissions officers? Once we get that, then I'll ask, okay, back that up. What experiences, what stories demonstrate this, illustrate this? Because ultimately we want to you know, show them more than, more than tell them. Yeah, this is a really fun one that I developed over a couple of years, just knowing that when you ask a student, like, what are your values? Who are you? What do you want to tell them? They're like, I don't know. Isn't that you're supposed to tell me that? So what I like to do is keep it really concrete 
and ask them about something that they can easily talk about. And what's worked is having them bring to me, you know, come up, come to our Zoom meeting with three objects that you just treasure, your favorite things. And it's a little bit like show and tell. So I've had students bring in a note from their dance teacher, a camera they got from a relative. Andy and I are working with a student this year who brought in a deck of cards. And it's not this specific deck of cards that is so important to him, it's the idea of playing cards with his family. And so you have a conversation around, you know, whatever these items or memories, whatever they happen to be are, and we get to those stories. And sometimes, the specific thing they bring in is just sort of tangentially related to something that's super, super interesting. Satya and I are working with a student right now. She's talking about a karate belt that she had just tested for. And it was just a big deal. She had tested for it before and failed the test, but she just earned it after retesting. And she's telling us this whole story. And we backed up to when she started karate and her mother sent her to her first karate class in traditional Pakistani clothing because they didn't have the karate you know, gi yet. And she was just so mortified about it. And both Sati and I were like, well, that is a juicy detail that we are totally going to dive into and turn into a whole story. So that's kind of how that one goes. Satya and Holly, what else do you like to do with your students? I like to start low stakes. And I think some of these are great examples of it. But, you know, if you ask someone, just tell me who you are, often it's, you know, it's a vulnerable thing to try and answer. So even if it's just asking like kind of mundane questions or it's like, oh, okay, like, you know, what, what skill do you have that, that you think you're really great at or most proud of? And then dig questions there or short journaling assignments can really help that just kind of the you know, mundane things about life, but some things that stand out to you day by day, if you go over and you look at them, there's ways that you can see growth over time, or you can have a collection of really detailed, specific examples to use in supporting these essays that you'll be writing. Yeah, I would just add, uh, I have a similar prompt where I often ask students to just, what do you love to talk about? And that usually gets them really excited about sharing whatever they like to geek out on with me, but also asking them, how would others describe you? Like people that you care about, how do they describe you? Do you agree with it? Why or why not? And tell me a story that shows me why. That's great. How many of you actually start by looking at the prompts? I mean, Holly, you mentioned that you do that, but in the brainstorming process, how many of you recommend looking at the prompts? I, I tend to show them the prompts so they sort of know logistically what's happening, but also in the hopes that one of the prompts might spark an idea more often than not, it does, yeah. which is what they're there for. Sometimes students are afraid of looking at the prompts. They feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to answer this. But then you ask them all these other questions and they have plenty of stories that could answer it, right? They don't always connect the thoughts. So I think maybe a piece of advice for parents here is don't force them to look at the prompts. If they're really having trouble coming up with something, maybe look at them. But you know your children, you know what they're gonna respond to. So tailor your approach, I would say. So. Let's talk about if you have multiple stories that you want to tell and they don't really fit together or you love three of the prompts and you can't just choose one. How do you go about evaluating a topic and deciding, okay, this is the one that I'm going to use for my main essay? Um, when I'm working with students, I try to constantly reassure them, this is your essay and we're going to revise it so many times that even if you love it now, you will probably not love it as much later just because you've been staring at it for too long. So if we've got too many options and they're real, I'm like, well, which one do you love the most right now? Because that's going to wane over time the more you edit it. And I'll weigh in, like if one seems stronger or is a more compelling story just based on how many other students might have similar stories, then I might make a suggestion. But typically students do have that kind of like gut 
feeling of actually, this is the story I want to tell. This is the one that I think best represents who I want to be. I would echo that. Very often the sort of three ideas or so that make it to that stage in the brainstorming process, it just becomes clear which one is the one, which one is the juiciest, which one is the most personal. And if, and this is kind of rare in my experience, if there's actually two that have that feeling, then I'll ask a student to just draft, you know, let's get a first draft on each one. And at that point, it definitely becomes obvious which is the way to go. I like to report back to students about how their examples and ideas make me feel or what impression it creates on me. Like, oh, this makes, you know, this sounds so generous or this really makes you seem like you're very aware about, you know, other people's emotions. And sometimes when they hear that, they can sort of get a sense as well of, of what what's the impression that they're creating and if that matches what they want for their essay. That's great. And a perfect segue to the question I was just about to ask, which is like, how much do we have to be strategic about the story we pick, right? We have so many students who are like, oh, this school wants to hear this kind of story. So I have to tell that kind of story or I have to use this kind of language. When we're in this brainstorming stage, how much of that is coming into play when you're guiding your students? In terms of specific schools, usually none given that this essay is going to go to a number of schools, even if they have a dream school, you know, and for some reason think they have an idea of what this school wants to hear, I would sort of, you know, put that aside for sure. Yeah, so I think there are definitely some topics that you want to be careful about. We could maybe get into those, you know, sometimes students' mental health crises are a big part of their lives, and, and that's totally an okay topic. You just have to be a little careful there. And there's some other topics that, you know, you, you just want to be careful about. But for me, it's sincerity above all and voice. It doesn't have to be the most original one ever. You know, students feel like, oh, I'm writing about this injury, the sports injury I got and how I came back and everybody's done that. I said, no, if, if it's a compelling piece of writing that is you, that is you on the page, then there's nothing wrong with doing the topic that's been done, right? It's not an originality contest, it's a sincerity contest. Yeah, 100%. I think the authenticity is the thing that matters. Yeah? Holly, Satya, what would you add here? I've had one of these conversations where a, a student was afraid of, you know, perhaps their like political position or, or advocacy, perhaps turning off admissions officers. And one thing that we always come back to is that this admissions process is about fit generally. And so if this is a truly deeply held position and a committee didn't, you know, wasn't receptive to it, that might not be the school for you. So generally, you know, with it barring some exceptions, really staying true to what you care about and what you believe in is better than trying to, you know, censor what you're writing or or shape it in the mold of what you think they want. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what we end up doing by trying to present ourselves as someone that this college we think that they want is we rob the college of an opportunity of getting to know how awesome we truly are, because we are. And we sell ourselves short, right? That somehow my unique self is not good enough. And I have to you know, fit myself into this mold in order to be considered there. And we see that when students are being their true selves and targeting schools that are a true fit for them, that's where that magic happens and they get the happy results that they're looking for. All right, so Andy, you mentioned voice, and that's sort of related to what we're talking about here. What is voice and how do we make sure 
when we're working with students that the student's voice is coming through and it's not our voice. Yeah, that, that could be tough, especially for word nerds and grammar geeks like me. I definitely have to kind of hold back and be careful that, that I don't become prescriptive. But what I try to do is, you know, it's how would you say this? And then can we find the most compelling and articulate way to say this? That still sounds like you. So I'm not giving you new vocab words. I'm not writing sentences for you. But, you know, I am trying to make things more concise because concise almost always equals compelling and certainly striving for clarity above all. I totally agree. I focus a lot on clarity and also personality. I think that when students are first writing the college essay, they sometimes think that it has to sound like academic writing or that like, oh, this is my moment where I get to use all my SAT words. This is not that moment. I'm sorry. Like this is the chance for you to write the way that you would normally write. And so a lot of the work that I do is really saying, oh, like this point might not be clear to the audience in mind because like they may not have had the same experiences or background as you. So can you tell me what you're trying to say? And then I'll say it back to them. My understanding is, and then we can kind of get to through that iteration and that conversation, what they're trying to say in their own words that would still be accessible to other folks. Yeah, and I think this is a really good thing for parents to hear because I know we've had so many students that, you know, we're workshopping an essay with them and then mom or dad gets a hold of it and it comes back looking like a lawyer wrote it because mom or dad is probably a lawyer. You want to remember this is supposed to sound like a 17 year old kid and maybe they are extremely mature and self-aware for their age and that should show, but it should still sound like a teenager. So, you know, as much as we want to come in and help and say, okay, I know what you're trying to say, and this is a better way to say it. This is an opportunity for them to learn that communication skill and think about, you know, new ways of, of framing things and, and not for you to show off, you know, what a good writer you are or how much grammar, you know, Andy, <laughs> sometimes we do have to just let that stay in the essay, even if it's not perfect grammar, because it really does show the students, the students personality to do it in that way. Okay, so Andy, you started kind of getting into like do's and don'ts, like what topics to stay away from. Are there other do's and don'ts that we need to be keeping in mind here? Yeah, I think that there's a number of lines to be towed or you know, balances. You do want to divulge a lot about yourself. It is a personal essay, but you want to be judicious about that. You don't want to just barf out every emotion you've ever had and every experience that you've ever had with no organization, right? And there is there is sort of a too much information threshold. Like, do they really need to know that detail? Maybe we can hold that off. So I would say, do make it about yourself. Don't turn it into sort of a one-way therapy session. Mine is actually related, is that like when you make the essay about yourself, sometimes students they are so inspired and empowered and supported by the people around them that they accidentally end up writing very compelling essays for why their mentor or their dance instructor should be like admitted to the college and not themselves. So, or like I've read so many essays where like my grandfather like really, really inspired me. I'm like, your grandfather sounds awesome, but like let's bring you more into this essay because I just learned three paragraphs about him and not you. So that's one that I really do try to steer students away from, especially because it, it kind of hurts them in a way. They feel like they're doing a disservice to these people who've been such an important part of their lives. And I'm like, and that does not change if we don't 
by name, describe all of the ways in which they've helped you. And you can also write them a lovely letter afterwards or share your personal statement with them afterwards to show how much they've impacted you. But like, you only got 650 words. That's a really good one. Holly, what would you add? I'd say don't get too hung up on what you think might be rules about how to write the essay. You know, that will have a hook at the beginning, often a snippet of dialogue and, you know, kind of go through because when you have your supplemental essays and you have, you know, all of the things together, if you're repeating the same format or pattern throughout, it can get really old. So I think it's, you know, nice to play around with those devices and, you know, those suggestions, but don't feel like, you know, you absolutely have to do them to have a successful essay. There are a couple of things that I think are like common myths about the essay that I'm hoping we can just address quickly. And then I think we should move on to the supplemental essays. So a lot of people think the essay has to be about like some deep trauma or personal struggle that they have overcome. And if they don't have something like that in their life, then they have nothing to write about. What do we think? Myth. Yeah, great. <laughs> Debunked. Definitely not the case. There are plenty of students who write about, you know, what may be mundane experiences that can really show who they are and, and be very compelling to admissions offices. All right, here's another one. Should we recap all of our grades and our accomplishments in our main essay? No, yeah. Okay, you guys are sensing a pattern here. They're all myths. <laughs> Satya already said the one about SAT words. This is not a place, you know, if the source can be helpful if you find yourself using the same word over and over again, but this is not a place to just cram in the biggest words that you can. Like, like Andy said, concision is usually compelling. Any other myths that you guys hear often and have to dispel? I worked with a student that felt compelled to always hit the word count for every single essay, and that's definitely not necessary. <laughs> and can detract from actual like really productive editing. Yeah, that's great. I have a lot of students who think their first draft has to be within the word count. And I think that's a big myth, right? I always start with more. Give me everything, every detail, even if you think it's irrelevant, I might see something in it that will help us, you know, put this together. And I always tell them the cutting is the easiest part. It may be the most painful for the student, but it's really easy for us to just be like, oh, this whole paragraph needs to go. It's not moving us forward. But sometimes if they edit themselves too much while they're drafting, we miss out on some rich detail that, you know, could really show something interesting about them. Okay, let's move on to the supplemental essays. And I, I do have a couple of questions in the chat that we will absolutely come back to. So can you give us some examples? I think, Holly, you, you did some work around this. What are some of the most common supplemental essay questions? I think one of the, the most common that everyone's likely to see is how you'll contribute to a diverse campus community. And that can be a challenge for a lot of students who may not think of themselves in that way, but there's always a way, like first, you know, how you're defining diversity, how they're defining diversity in their community and how you contribute to it. So that's one that it's, it's useful to have thoughts on and an answer. And then I think, you know, other ones, you know, the key one is always look the why school, like, why are you applying to the school? How will you achieve your academic goals here? And what makes it stand out? And that one is really about doing the research and making sure that you have a very compelling reason that you would be an excellent fit there. I'll also add values are one of the other big topics, you know, it's often they'll have you reflect on what, you know, what are an ethical dilemma you faced or, you know, what are some values that are very important to you and, you know, how do you interact with those? I think my favorite is when they're talking about which extracurricular activities they'd be interested in joining or which communities on campus they want to be a part of because they get so excited imagining themselves in the powerlifting club and in this organization and it's just it's very fun for them and that comes through in the essays when they write them which is always nice to see 
and that actually brings me back to the brainstorming. Sometimes reviewing the list of their activities can give you a lot of things to write about because, you know, kids find interesting things to do and always have interesting reasons why they do them. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the differences between the main essay and supplemental essay. Supplemental essay really does need to be tied to why that school is a fit. So do you have any strategies for helping a student brainstorm content for those types of essays? Yeah. So with the, this could be a really tough question, you know, with the dream school, it's usually not a very, because they already, that's why it's a dream school. They already know all the reasons why it would be a great fit. For me, that's really about research and hopefully making a campus visit, but I guess not always possible. Certainly, you know, doing a deep dive into the, the school's website. I often ask students, you know, if you look hard enough, you can kind of tell what's the thing or the things that the college really prides itself on? How does it see itself in the world? How does it see itself as different from other colleges? And how, could, how do you connect with that? Hopefully you do. And then go from there, right? So some sort of ethos or, or identity of the school, which can be hard to find because college websites all kind of say the same thing. We're a dynamic community of diverse intellectually, blah, 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 blah. But if you go past that first page, you know, and really start looking, you can often get the flavor of the university. And then doing some research around classes and departments and faculty members and extracurricular clubs. I usually advise them for sort of the why us essay to try to hit at least three areas with as much specificity as possible. So something that's purely academic, right? There's this professor I really want to work with or this course or this program, something that's more extracurricular and then something that maybe speaks to that school ethos. Yeah, thank you. We've got some great questions in the chat. So unless there's anything else, any of you really want to say about the supplemental essays, I think we should actually just go to our questions and see what comes out of those. And if we exhaust them, then we'll come back to this topic and some of the other ones that we want to address. So how do you become good at writing essays if you're not good at writing essays? This is a great question. Hi, Russ. And that's a great answer. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> any other strategy? That is an excellent strategy. I agree. But also, I've been a writing consultant for, for almost 10 years, and I typically work with students who have writing anxiety, and most of them share some kind of horrible experience with writing where teachers just were not really what they needed in that space. And so what I often tell them is that there really are no bad writers. I've worked with hundreds of students. I've really not encountered one. The real difference that I've seen is in revision. There are people who write an essay sometimes in three hours the night before and turn it in. And they're like, oh, I'm a bad writer. It's like, oh, but we have time now. Like, this is something that you know is coming. We can revise it. And through revision, anyone can write something excellent. And that usually helps. And I think it also takes some of the pressure off that immediate first draft. I'm like, we're going to write a terrible first draft. That's great. We can edit a terrible first draft. We can't edit the draft that's in your head. Great points. Holly, Andy, other ideas? I think that's great. And I think that, you know, getting to that first draft, if that's a big leap, you know, talking through the essay, having someone write it or take notes, record yourself, do whatever you can to get words on a page. And then, you know, you can work on editing it and break it up by stages. I absolutely agree that I think that 
idea, and there maybe are there are a few people out there that can do this, just sit down and write perfectly formed logical sentences. And it's not a lot of students and excellent writers. So I think doing whatever it takes to get that on the page and then, you know, just doing one step at a time, even for just 10 minutes looking at it, putting it away and coming back later can really do a lot of great work over time. I couldn't agree more. And I think you learn how to be a better writer in the editing process not so much in the first draft process. The, the, the fruits of the editing come in the next first draft, which is why when I'm going through an essay and you know, Google Docs and offering suggestions and even making simple grammatical corrections, I, I do my best to explain why and hope that the student reads it and doesn't just say accept, accept revision. So I'm trying to teach them how to write you know, at, at the same time and some of the most meaningful, I'm thinking of one student in particular who very, very bright kid, a STEM kid, kid and we couldn't put a sentence together that was syntactically grammatically a sentence. But we worked on it, we worked on it, and by the end, he was a totally different writer. It was incredibly rewarding to see that transformation. Yeah. We have sort of a restatement of the question is, what are the steps to becoming good at writing essays if you're looking two to three years out from writing essays? One of the things I'll offer is to read the more you read, the more you see good writing that you can emulate. What else would you guys add? It's hard, but daily frequent writing, so especially if you don't like to do it, but that's shown even if it's writing emails or journaling, any form of writing daily can really decrease any anxiety towards it and just build up skill over time. Yeah, practice makes perfect, though we're not aiming for perfection. The more you practice something, the better you're going to get at it. Okay, great. What are some off-limits topics, and how can we tell? Or maybe a restatement. Are there any off-limits topics? I'm sure we could come up with some, but, you know, like, don't talk about your misdemeanor, or <laughs> like in the story behind that. I, but I, nothing like that has ever really been brought up in the brainstorming session. I think the most common, it's not off limits, but the, I mentioned this earlier, is around mental health challenges, which are totally fair game. You know, often they do play a huge part in a person's growth and formation. I think that the tip there is to try to tell your story, but then move on and really focus on how it's made you who you are, right? So don't depress the reader by going through all of the heart-wrenching details. Right, definitely give them a sense of how serious it was and, and everything like that. But the weight of the essay should be about how you came out of it, what you've learned from it, what this means for you in the future. Yeah, definitely great points. That is a tricky one to navigate. So that is definitely one I would recommend talking with, you know, someone who has some experience with admissions essays about. I think Andy's guideline is really great. This may be a thing that has had a huge influence on who you've become, but it's certainly not the only thing that's worth sharing about you. And so keeping it in that perspective of like, I've moved on, I've grown from this, or this is how I've learned about the world because of this experience. And this is the kind of person it's made me, or these are the kind of people I want to help because of this experience is a way to, to kind of keep it forward looking. Great. And that was another question that we had. Um, okay, got another myth or reality question here. If you don't have a good opening hook, it won't catch the attention of the admissions officer and they're just going to throw you in the reject pile and move on. Is that a myth or is there some truth to it? I say they'll read your essay. So if you have a hook that's unrelated and there's no content or anything, that's much worse than an essay that starts plainly and contains real sincerity and great examples. So I'd say myth too. 
Yeah. Well, what do we mean by hook in the first place? A hook is a way into the essay, usually the opening line or the opening scene that you set. I think there is a danger of trying too hard, which is probably worse than having something that's maybe a little nondescript, right? But is, you know, sincere and leads the reader where you want the reader to go. So, you know, don't try too hard. Don't try to be the cleverest personal essay writer of all time. Be careful with humor because humor doesn't often translate on the page or just across people that are coming from different places. And so I think that's that's mostly a myth, but we do work a lot on the first line. Let's not, and we want it to be as hooky as possible while, while staying true to the, to the rest of the essay and the student's voice. But I don't think they just throw it away. But I think if you try too hard, they'll sort of roll their eyes. And maybe yeah. you know, that's not the mood you want them to be in for the rest of it. Right. And I think just as important as that opening section that really you know makes the reader want to read more, like enthusiastically, they will probably still read the essay if, if they find it boring at the beginning. They'll, they'll finish their job. But we want them to just not be able to wait to see what happens in the essay. But I think just as important as that part of it is how memorable the essay as a whole is. And sometimes that has a lot to do, a lot more to do with how the essay ends than how it begins, right? So there are a lot of different ways to play with those like hooking abilities. I mean, I've seen students drop a person into a story in the middle of the story, right at the beginning, right? I've seen people do some exposition and then do a flashback. To that story i've even seen essays with the you know real story at the end and they've all been successful but you really do have to think about the craft of your writing and can a reader follow this is this interesting to anyone besides me <laughs> and what are these different pieces saying about right because not only are is the essay communicating something about who you are and who you want to be it also shows your communication skills and, and how well you can relate to others so that is certainly something to keep in mind okay this was one of the things that was on our original list of questions so i think we switch over to this more sort of tactical mode but like when do you start how long does it take to write an essay what deadlines should we be setting do we need internal deadlines like how, how do we manage that whole process no i was going to suggest that you you take this one me sheila oh. yeah you're so great at envisioning the whole the whole plan. Sure. Okay. So the reason Andy relies on me though is not because he can't do it himself. It's because at Signet, when you're working with us on college admissions, you usually have two people on your team. You'll have a writing specialist like Holly, Andy, or Satya, and you'll have a consultant. Holly actually plays that role as well, where she can guide the whole process from sort of a strategic point of view. But our consultants are people who are helping a student, you know, think about their extracurricular profile and keeping an eye on their grades and helping them understand understand which schools are going to be a good fit for them. And then looking at how all of these pieces of writing and the transcript and the teacher, how do they all fit together and what kind of story are we telling? So I take a much broader view and I do love working on the essay specifically, but I also take that broader view and, and manage the whole process. So what I usually like to see is students start the brainstorming process sometime at the end of their junior year. And if they're super precocious, they can certainly keep a journal in ninth and 10th 
grade or earlier in 11th grade of like, oh, this might be a good idea for my college essay. You don't have to write the essay and start revising it, but just, you know, start playing with some ideas. That's fine. But, you know, for students who are imminently joining the application process and they're going to be submitting their applications in a couple of months, I usually say start in April, May, June of junior year, just tossing some ideas around and thinking about who you are and what's the story you want to tell. And then really engaging in that brainstorming and first draft kind of process by the end of June. Hopefully you've got an idea and you've got something that's starting to look like a draft or a couple of paragraphs that hang together well. And then I really love it when a student can have a very near final draft before the school year starts in the fall, because we know school is crazy. They've got all these other things going on. Plan ahead so that you can finish a draft of the main essay and the supplemental essays before the school year starts. And then you're just in that sort of light revision stage, looking at it once or twice a week before any early deadlines or the regular deadlines. So that's the timeline I usually like to follow. And I usually try to meet with my students once a week to see what progress we've made, what revisions do we need to make until those essays are done. But I know you all might approach it a little bit differently. Holly, what, what do you think about that process? I think that sounds great and really comprehensive. I think at this, you know, if you're, if you're looking at starting now and applying um, this cycle, then trying to get a sense kind of globally of, you know, what if you have a handle on your list first thing, you know, and then kind of of the list of schools, but then like what's what supplemental essays do you have? What work needs to be done and how much time do you have and sort of working there? often giving yourself a lot of extra wiggle room if you can. They always do, and they should, right? I mean, in school, maybe students have a week or two weeks to write a paper. This is a different topic. They are going to have to do some deep reflection on and a lot more revisions on than they've probably ever done with a school paper. So you do want to leave space and time for that. You can't really force it. I mean, this is the thing that I'm like becoming known for saying, don't force it. You really just need to give you know space and, and let those stories kind of come out somewhat naturally. But at the same time, there needs to be some kind of accountability to make sure we're moving forward incrementally. Great. We have a new question. What about students who want to share anecdotes or experiences from the past? Should the focus be more on the present or is it okay to bring in some of this stuff from the past? I would say it's okay to bring stuff in from the past. I think a lot of students do um, and it's because they're reflecting and they think, oh gosh, like I thought that this was a recent thing, but actually I was on this path starting in the first grade. And when you're telling the story, you don't have that much space. So you won't necessarily give all of the context, but you can very briefly share like, this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it, this is why I'm telling you because it impacts who I am right now in this moment and who I wanna be moving forward. Rule of thumb that I use is your essay revolves around a story or, or an event that you probably want it to be from high school rather than from when you were a kid, because you know they're kind of tend to be more interested in who you are now more recent formative experiences. There's plenty of exceptions. It doesn't mean you can't write about really significant moments when you were five that put you on a path, right? But in that case, we're going to try to weight it towards the path part and not spend 300 words telling a story from when you were five. Yeah, that's a really great point. It's sort of like it could start in the past, but should be continuing into your present if it is going to take up that much room in your in your essay. What other questions do we have from our audience? We've got about five minutes left. While we're waiting for someone to give us a question, I do have a couple of other things. What do you think 
<laughs> the role of a parent in this essay writing process should be, or how can parents figure that out, negotiate that with their children who are who are writing their essays? I know this is a, a difficult one. I think it's it just really depends on the the relationship, and that's not like a, a judgmental thing. But I think some parents may be able to like set deadlines without pushback. If that's you, then that could be really helpful for a student. If it's not, then you know finding another way. <laughs> to set up the structure or if you find that helping with brainstorming and just talking or honestly one thing is if students won't brag about themselves right if they won't really talk about what their excellent qualities are often i will send them to their parents to get some of that info because parents know why their children are so wonderful yeah that's a great point parents can be so helpful in this process as just sort of like a vibe check like this sounds like my kid or yeah they're not bragging about this thing enough that they did that is really amazing at the same time right it, it can sometimes backfire to have a parent involved too much so parents you know your relationship with kids if you think you being involved is going to stop them from being authentically who they are, or is going to create more family tension than you really need, because, you know, Lord knows there's already enough. But that might be a clue to, to negotiate what your involvement might be. And it may not be stay out of it completely. It may be, I'm going to let you come up with this topic. And I promise I will not veto the topic unless it's one of these that is like, you know, offensive or something like that. But I want to see a copy of it before you submit it. You know, I've seen all kinds of arrangements that parents make with their students. Sometimes parents want to talk to me about the essay and I'll say, okay, you know, I hear your feedback. I'm going to take what I think is relevant and I'm going to present it to your student. And that way kind of softens the message from a parent. And, you know, we also get to be judicious about what we take in or, or not. And I will say, you know, we're speaking from our position of, you know, a company that does college admissions consulting and writing consulting with students, but not everybody needs one. And there are plenty of students who have other kinds of mentors in their lives, whether it is their English teacher, their college counselor in their high school, an older sibling, a cousin, a family friend, somebody that you trust that they also feel like they can be open with. That can be a really wonderful sounding board in this process. Okay, we got two last questions here. Is it an open secret that there are companies and coaches that get hired to write essays on behalf of the student? How can admissions officers tell the difference? Well, it is an open secret. There are companies that will write for students. We do not do that. We are members of the National Association of College Admissions Counselors. It is a very clear ethical standard that we have to meet. And that's also just not who we are as people. Our values around education are really centered on helping students grow and they can't grow if we do the work for them. Also, I don't like writing essays. I'm, I can't pretend to be a 17 year old. I'm a 43 year old woman, like totally foreign experience. Like I can't do it. And so to your question about how do admissions officers tell, you know, we know what a 17 year old sounds like. These are people who read thousands of essays in a year. And, you know, they are really experts at knowing what a teenager sounds like. And so if it doesn't sound like that, they're gonna know. If this is a story they've heard before, they're gonna know. If it's lacking in that authenticity, the emotion, the specificity, they're gonna know. So I highly recommend you don't have someone else write the essay for your student. Oh, how do we feel about AI and essays? This is a nice one to, to end on. What do you guys think? I haven't seen it with students, though I know that definitely students are using it. I've seen it when I've done a hiring recently. People are using it for their cover letters. I think if you're stuck and you want to just see what would happen, that's probably okay, just as like a fun exercise. But I 
you got to write it yourself because you don't want it to sound like an AI. You want it to be you on the page because you can't substitute an AI for you once you get on campus. So might as well start now. Yeah, I think that's generally my take as well. You know, sometimes it can be helpful for generating ideas, but also it's not going to be specific or authentic to students. So it's never really going to report, at least right now, where the technology is, is not going to be able to replace your students authentic voice. Well, we are at time. Thank you, my panelists, for joining me and sharing your wisdom and expertise. All right. Thank you, everybody. Okay, folks, I hope you found that helpful. And I hope you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on how the essay process can actually be a wonderful moment of growth and reflection for students, and how it can actually bring them some joy and confidence as they look ahead into their future. If you have questions about Anything we talked about here, or you want to talk to one of these writing coaches about working with your student, please give us a call or send us an email. Check out our website, signeteducation.com. You can find a contact form there and our phone number as well, or check the show notes. All right. See you next time, everybody. (laughs) 